This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Draft Sickos on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm your host, Maxwell Baumbach, and this is the show where we cover everybody from the biggest names to the deepest sleepers. This week's special guest real star of the show, you know him from NBA Big Board. And if you are on Twitter, you know him as Mavs Drafts. He's Richard Stamen. Rich, how are you doing tonight? Hey, it's good to be here. I'm excited. I have a long-time listener, first-time caller, you know, so uh, I'm excited. <laughs> For sure. We're, we're glad to have you on. We are big fans of everything that you guys do uh, over at NBA Big Board. NBA Big Board is a site that um, obviously has a lot of uh, momentum behind it. You know, it's a, a site started by Chad Ford, Rafael Barlow, kind of continuing on in that legacy, a guy who is deep, deep, deep in the weeds. World world traveled uh, as a scout and the work that everybody does over there is phenomenal. You guys have always been really supportive of us and what we do over here. So anytime we get to kind of co-mingle a little bit, do a little cross-promotion, we're, we're, we're here for it. So uh, an absolute pleasure. And if, if somehow you've not come across NBA Big Board, make sure you're, you're taking a look at what they're doing over there. You're subscribed over there. Uh, so let's kick things off with winners of the week. Uh, Want to go in a bit of a different direction, kind of pick your brain and, and talk out a guy that um, I was going to hire on earlier in the year. I, I think I faded a little bit and now I'm, I'm a little confused to be frank. So he's a guy I'm, I'm interested to talk out with you. And that is Ron Holland of the G league ignite. He is a six, eight wing young for the class. Uh, doesn't turn 29 until July had a big outing this week against the rip city remix in 29 minutes. He dropped 31 points, four for six from three, uh, six boards, two assists, two steals and a block. Um, Holland came into the year very highly touted was the guy who was number one on, on certain boards um, has this really rough game against the Salt Lake city stars early in the year, the, the nine turnover game. Uh, and it seemed like the perception of G league ignite, the perception of him uh, cratered quite a bit um, around that time. I wrote an article kind of defending him. I, I think that anytime you've got a guy with those kind of athletic tools, um, it's, it's worth being patient, especially given that he is 18 and making this kind of leap in competition, um, strong outing from him this week. The assist to turnover ratio is still negative, but it's, it's getting a little better. It's been even over the last five or seven games or so, um, scoring it a little bit more efficiently. What are your thoughts on, on Ron Holland and where do you sort of have him at, at this point in the draft cycle? Yeah. So right now I actually, I have him number one. Okay. I, I yeah. Think Let's hear the such case. A wide open draft. I'm. It's tough because I feel like if he was at Texas right now, where he was committed before turning to the ignite, mm-hmm. I think we'd be talking about somebody who is a superior athlete at his size. We'd be talking about okay. First of all, major difference for him. 
in in one stat is you'd take two free throws instead of one every single time. I think that would yep. be a much better chance to improve that. And I think with Ron Holland, a lot of it is, you know, just process over results. And in the G League, that's not how it always works. A lot of it is results over process in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it was not necessarily the best fit for him. And I think he's kind of gotten hurt by it. But every like I saw him a lot in high school. I remember seeing him. That's right. Yeah. With, uh, with I never saw him in person for the USA FIBA like youth teams, but mm-hmm. I did see him in person in high school, being in Dallas where he's from. I just I have a hard time seeing someone who I know he has a good work ethic and like that's so important in today's yeah. game. At his size, with his two way ability, I buy the jump shot coming along. I think it's better than the stats suggest. And really, if that's the big swing skill. Like there's other areas I think he's going to get a lot better at over the years too, especially like as he gets stronger. Yeah, I agree with you. I and I think that something um, that's that's really sort of stood out as you hit on that free throw number in the G League quote, and I'm using kind of air quotes here for those that are just listening. The regular season, because the way that they split up the G League season, um, he's taking five free throws a game, which like you look at and like that's pretty nice. But when you consider again on these attempts, like the G League rules you're taking one so in, an, in a normal setting like there's only certain periods of the game where you get two free throws in, in a G League game otherwise you're looking at a guy who's taking eight nine ten free throws a game and like that in and of itself is a skill uh when you're making 73.8 percent of them like he has over over that stretch um oh, oh sorry um, i was just gonna say one thing like i pulled up his page on synergy mm-hmm. and they combine all of it so it's every bit yes. of sample size yeah. Mm-hmm. And this includes some of the exhibitions that they did overseas, mm-hmm. but he's already taken 124 free throws in how many games? 29. So yep. let's do the math. Like that's given that he's only taking he's taking four and a half roughly free mm-hmm. throws a game. That could be easily doubled. So sorry, I just wanted yeah. to throw that in there. I think it's for important sure. I, I agree completely. And one thing I wanted to pick your brain on. Speaking of context, is I, I one thing I've seen the people that that are really high on Ron Holland, and and to be frank, I've I've kind of had him more in that like five to eight range. I've had him I think as high as four at different points, as high as three. Um, the thing that gets talked about by like the, the most ardent Ron Holland supporters is the high school role versus the role he has on Ignite. Um, always lauded for the defense, always lauded for the effort, the motor straight line burst like this is a guy that can just really blow by people uh in the half court uh yep. so just really good job just getting past you getting the rim and the rim finishing numbers have, have dwindled a little bit but i i actually like his touch at the rim a lot even like when he gets bumped off the spot i i really buy the half court finishing um can you talk about having seen him play in high school where he was a guy that uh was maybe a little bit more off the ball versus now almost being like a primary initiator a lot of the time. And and how has that growth been uh, from someone who's gotten to see a larger, larger sample of him in up close and in person over the years? Yeah. So he started when I saw him as a junior in high school, really. I mean, I saw him actually as a sophomore through FIBA USA and he was running more primary on ball duties but he was still kind of that guy who would cut from the corner, cut from the wings and like take guys on two dribbles or less. But I think now he's obviously grown in that department. I still think the handle needs to get better, but that's also something where it's yeah. gotten better over the years. It's something that I imagine is a win, not if mm-hmm. the big thing, I think he's learned how to finish without dunking. A lot of times he goes for the home run swing, especially at the rim. That's mostly where we see it. And I think he's actually toned down a little bit there because for a while he was supremely athletic. I have a couple of videos. If you search map draft Ron Holland, you'll see I have videos of him dunk, uh, excuse me, jumping over guys. Like literally two times it happened once this season in the G League and once two years ago in a high school game. He teammates with Anthony Black. Um, and it, it's just, it's ridiculous. So the athleticism and how he uses it and how he's controlled his skill or his tools really. I think it's the big improvement. Like he knows he's not necessarily the best athlete in every single game he plays now, but he knows how to channel it and make it a bigger strength for him than his opponent. For sure. And I I think that's the area where I've kind of had the hardest time with him, right? Is it, it is, it is a very on ball role for a guy who is probably more likely at best to be a second option on a, like a really good NBA team. Um, and the handle comes wide at points and it's just a question of like how, 
how concerned about this should I be at this stage where, uh, you know, is this something you can reel in or is it something that because it, it gets wide, it gets away from his body. Um, is that something that limits him to more of a, a third option on a good team? Or is he more of just a, a, a complimentary starter type player? Um, I, I get a little bit concerned with that aspect of his game. Um, but I, I do think the shooting confidence is something that I've admired quite a bit. Uh, it seems like he's never lost confidence in his shot. I think that's going to be really important uh, in terms of squ- squ- uh, scaling up and roll for him. On catch and shoots, he's 29%. Uh, over all those G League games and 23% on off the dribble shots uh, from long range. That's a little concerning because he's taken 30 of them. So that's probably hurting the sample. At the next level, it's going to be a lot more catch and shoot than off the dribble. But at the same time, the mid-range shot hasn't been great off of pull-ups either. Uh, 12 for 44 on those. Uh, the free throw numbers are good. What what gives you confidence in saying, like I I, I feel that he will be a league average or better shooter? Yeah, for me, I mean, the free throw percentage clearly isn't that bad. No, um, solid, yeah. And on top of that, like, I, I just, I feel like watching him shoot, it's pretty smooth. He goes up straight. There's no, like, mechanical major flaws. There's some, like, stuff with his legs. But it's fixable things. And and I think his shooting's just going to come down to work ethic. And I know he has a really good work ethic. I know people around his circle that have said this. And I, I really just believe that he's a hard worker. And I think that's really where it's going to separate him. And, and we've seen many players – throughout the NBA's, I mean, really just the last 10 years, let's even go with that, where some guys didn't work hard and you notice their shots kind of, their jump shots never get better than average. And there are some guys who are mid-range shooters like Brooke Lopez for a while who worked really hard to become a stretch big and now he's one of the best. I just, I firmly believe that work ethic and jump shot, jump shooting, like that's tied together very closely. And and I know that's a strength for Holland, but like the work ethic, so I think that's going to come around. Plus he has the touch. How how do you feel like he's been defensively this year? Because on on one hand, I, I see the playmaking metrics. He's, you know, he's doing a good job. He's generating steals. He's using his length to get blocks. Uh, can be really active with his hands and uses them well when he guards the ball at times. He is a great mover. The ground coverage is good when it's a scramble setting. The speed is there. Um, I feel like I've been a little let down by the point of attack defense at times where it feels like he's a little too content to get beat a little too content to play from behind at times efforts, not always there. Um, What, what do you make of that? Or do you disagree with that assessment? Like, I feel, I feel like at times I've been a little bit let down um, by how he guards the ball. Yeah. I think just historically, like everywhere I've seen him before the G league, I think his defense has been really locked in. I think it's almost the nature of the G league. That's some of the stuff where it's like, you're playing so many more possessions. I think it's hard to play hard every single possession on both ends especially like he's one of the first options if not the very first option most nights yeah so i think i cut him a little bit of slack on that like just given the tempo in the role but when he's locked in i feel like his motor is really strong i think he wins a lot of plays that many other guys don't make especially in the g league where he'll dive on the floor he he just keeps himself in the plays a lot of on both ends but i also think he has a lot of mobility i mean or versatility excuse me mobility as well but versatility where he can really guard near the rim because he has long arms he can get these long contests i think that's huge and the motor like mostly being good that's going to make a lot a lot of ground up for him um the strength is really i think where i feel like that's going to be what separates him from getting to be a very good defender in the nba that's what i project him as Mm -hmm. is like a, a well above average defender and turning that into being a great defender awesome and the last thing i just want to touch on with holland is um, sort of the, the playmaking in the creation. Cause you talked about the assist to turnover. Um, I thought it was really bad early in the year. I feel like he still, he still has his warts. He still has his plays where, um, it feels like he's really predetermined. Um, more, so, I feel like that almost leads more so into a shot selection where he's just like, I'm, I'm going to take a shot on this play. And it doesn't matter if there's a double or if there's a lot of traffic, like he's, he's just kind of going up with it. Um, I feel like he's been a little bit more fluid and a little more under control and poised uh, as far as how he reacts. If he gets all the way to the rim and he doesn't like his look and maybe he keeps his dribble alive and goes out the other side or, or maybe he's able to spray it out to somebody on the perimeter in a way that he wouldn't have done a few months ago. Uh, how, how do you feel overall about his uh, development as a playmaker throughout this season? Yeah, I, I've shared those same concerns. I feel like especially early in the season, like when the team was bad, he was really, really struggling as a playmaker. 
Um, I think his best strength really as a playmaker is that he just knows how and when to make the extra pass at a very quick at a very quick rate. Just knowing that in the NBA, everything like everything becomes faster at every level from high school, you know. So I think that he's got that down. That's really big, but that's a simple skill. So for me, I, I had the same thing about decision making. For me, it was really just near the rim. We saw a lot of tunnel vision. We saw a lot of just predetermined moves. And I just think he gets a little bit too locked in on the rim if he was able to see the corners out of the drives a little bit better. I think we'd be talking about a much different prospect. For sure. For sure. I, I agree with you right there. Uh, let's move on to our next guy, Johnny Furphy. Uh, everybody's got Furphy fever right now. Johnny Furphy is is the hot name, it feels like, in draft circles. Uh, kind of a an interesting path. Uh, for him, he's the guy who came from the basketball center for of excellence in Australia, which turned out a lot of great talent uh, over the years, but goes to a Kansas team that doesn't have depth. So he's one of those guys who's gotten minutes all season, but just now is getting big time minutes. And it feels like the idea of playing him over El Marco Jackson has been a really phenomenal one and has made everything better for the Kansas Jayhawks, but, and particularly for Furphy and his NBA draft stock, um, Right now, the counting numbers are not crazy. You know, 7.9 points, 3.7 rebounds, half an assist, 0.6 steals, 0.3 blocks. Um, but really, just over these past four games, he's looked phenomenal. 15 against Oklahoma State, 13 against West Virginia, 23 points and 11 boards against Cincinnati. Tough loss yesterday to Iowa State, but 15 points and six rebounds on five for eight shooting. Uh, Furphy is six foot nine. He is mobile, he's got a high motor, and he can shoot the ball 41.2% uh, from deep on the year. Uh, the other thing I think that is, is interesting is if you're just kind of looking through the box scores or just looking at the stats on paper, he's only got a 5% assist rate, um, but he is averaging uh, quite a bit more assists per game since the turn in the calendar. Uh, so I'm going to pull this up here. Obviously, again, we're, we're working with a lot of small samples. Uh, but over the last seven games, oh, basketball reference is going a little bit slow on me here. Uh, he he had a two to one assist to turnover ratio uh, recently uh, over like this these past seven games. So Johnny Furphy working a guy that's six foot nine, that's shooting the ball, that can move, and that really competes. Um, is Johnny Furphy a guy that's that's moved into your first round? Yeah, he's he's climbing because he's the ideal wing, right? Where he plays pretty solid defense, I think. Yep. He's six nine. He shoots. I I don't think the passing is anything stellar, but there is one area that I really like. This is one of my absolute. I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but like, <laughs> there's no way to say it without being weird. So I'll just say like one of my favorite traits, I guess, yeah. of a player is when they get the offensive rebound. Where do they look? Are they looking yeah. only at the rim? Are they only looking at teammates? Like there's a there's a fine line, right? Where it's mm -hmm. you have to be aggressive, but you can't. You can't just kick everything out. Like if you're a big man, you want them to be rim first for a lot of times. Now, if they're in triple teams, how do you recognize it? And Furphy is actually great at that. I've noticed, I think almost three or four, he only has 10 assists, I think, on the year. But yep. a, a good percentage, because it's only 10, have be, have come off the offensive rebound. I want to say one was yesterday against Iowa State, too, where he gets it in double coverage. He grabs the board and just immediately recognizes, hey, I got someone at the top of the key. It's like one of the wings and makes the right pass shooter makes it. And I, I love that stuff. I don't know if he necessarily has stuff off the dribble for creation mm -hmm. for others, but at a minimum, there's something there where it's a clear example of, all right, I know where the next pass needs to go. How do you, how do I execute it is all he has to figure out and like on a play to play basis. And I think he has that figured out for sure. And I think, I think that's kind of going to be what the NBA role is too, uh, to a degree. Like, I don't think you're drafting Johnny Furphy being like, this is the guy that's going to run the show. But playing alongside Dwan Wagner or uh, Dwan Harris, playing alongside Kevin McCuller, getting to be in this role where he is just like, please connect well. And the fact that he's able to do that and not make poor decisions and, and keep the ball moving and make those plays on the offensive glass, I think he's done a really good job with. And I think part of the appeal for me, too, is that a lot of the stuff where I'm like, ah, I didn't love that on that play for him. It's stuff that feels really correctable. Um, like on defense, he'll, when he guards down, sometimes he'll be a little bit too upright or sometimes when he's competing on the glass, maybe someone will outbody him out physical, out physicality him. Uh, I guess I'll phrase it, uh, at times, but like, yeah, he's, he's a six foot nine freshman. He's, he's a little bit skinny. He's got a good body. He's going to fill it out. Like everything that he 
doesn't do well, it feels like it's something that, that I can live with and I feel comfortable in an NBA strength and conditioning program or coaching staff to develop pretty easily and pretty quickly, uh, which I do think is part of the appeal. Um, I also think on the, on the field tip, like you mentioned the offensive rebounding where I see it with him too, is just how he moves without the ball. Um, seems like a guy who knows how to get himself open on the perimeter, just move into those empty gaps, make it a little bit harder for his defender to cover ground. He's a guy who was willing to space it from NBA. He's not a guy that's going to hug the three point line the entire time. Like just little things like that. That'll make it easier for his teammates, give him an easier passing angle, make it a little bit more difficult for his defender to recover back. That's stuff that all really stands out to me is like, that's, that's a pro thinking skill that he's showing right there. Um, so I really like that to kind of turn the tables a little bit. And I guess uh, almost take it negative in a way. Uh, what, what do you think separates Johnny Furphy in this rise compared to one like Matthew Mayer had during his junior season at Baylor? When all of a sudden it was like, hey, this guy's six foot nine and, and the shot looks really good. Uh, and he's got these good physical tools. Like, how do we know Johnny Furphy isn't Matthew Mayer? I think... <laughs> There's a there's a PC way to say this, and uh, I'll say it very. I'm not trying to step on toes because that's kind of the NBA's thing now. Is uh, look, he's a freshman who plays within himself, who he does the right things all the time. Matthew Mayer did not do all the right things at all all the time. He was very no, much. I mean, oh, I have the open three, but a guy's coming. Plays. What was that? I was say he made some really frustrating plays and like was a bad passer. He turned it That's over. A, a it's a much nicer way to say what I was thinking. And <laughs> for me, it's just like he knows Furphy knows what his role is, when to shoot, when to pass, when to dribble. That is a massive skill that every wing needs. It's not as simple as, oh, well, he can shoot the ball, therefore he's an automatic. He's a guy you have to like there's a reason there's so many 40 plus percent shooters in college basketball that never even sniff summer league. Like there's a very real reason. Matthew Mayer, I don't even know if he ever made summer league. Like he might might have made. He one. did, yeah. And I think he was on like the Rockets summer league team. Or something. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. And yeah. he, it's just the same thing. He just he was like, oh, it's it's the Matthew Mayer show now. And Furphy is just not that. And I think that's the big difference. All right, I love it. I love it. So we're gonna throw it to a quick break. We're gonna come back on the other end. We're gonna talk about some some guys that are kind of sleeper ish, like not like the deepest cut sleepers, but guys that are more second round kind of candidates that, that I think we're both pretty interested in. So we'll be right back on the other side of this break. All right. So let's, let's lead it off with uh, some Baylor Shireman talk. Uh, just real quick temperature check. How do you feel about Baylor Shireman? I think he's okay. I think he's actually kind of overhyped. I have him as a fringe draftable guy. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I just I, he's cool. Like I think he's fun. Mm -hmm. I I still don't know how he translates up. I can't tell if I'm being caught up in aesthetics or not. Like of just how yeah. he shoots and how he plays. But I mean, when you look at the stats, his impact's undeniable. Sure. Yeah. I I think that's completely reasonable. Um, he's somebody where like, I've kicked the tires with a lot of people uh, recently, just to kind of see. And I feel like your opinion is probably the one I get most often, which is he's he's fine. Like yeah, maybe maybe you draft him, maybe you don't. Like that's that's that. Um. I did not like Baylor Shireman very much. And I did this Twitter poll where I was like, I want to write about a guy like, I... so the most frustrating thing about this draft cycle for me as somebody who covers it week to week has been, I feel like my gauge on who will and won't be in this draft has never been worse uh, compared to the last several drafts. It's very difficult to know who's coming, who's going, who's staying. Uh, NIL has further complicated this because a lot of guys are going to get a lot of money to go back to school if, if they feel like they're not uh, liking what their projection is. Um, so I ran this Twitter poll and I was like, hey, pick my feature for next week. And it was all graduates. Like, I just give me one guy that like I can get some work on now that I know I'm going to have to think about come June. Honestly, I kind of wanted Jalen Williams from Auburn to win the poll, but Baylor Shireman won the poll. And I was like, oh, man, all right, whatever. I kind of came out of this liking Baylor Shireman a lot more than I, I went into it. So the first thing I want to touch on is I I did some research recently on what, what does an NBA rotation player look like? So I looked at guys who are the sixth through eighth man on the top eight teams in each conference. Uh, and as a group, the average height was six, five and three quarters. 
The total three-point field goal percentage for that group was 39.1%. And the average assist-to-turnover ratio in that group was 2.13 to 1.0. So when we're talking about guys that are in this kind of second-round tier, a lot of the times the guys that are going to be like really, really good have been have been sort of figured out already. On the margins, we're looking for guys, ideally, that can, that can get to 20 minutes a game and, and bring us real value as an organization. Um, Baylor Shireman, like, statistically kind of looks like <laughs> he's he's six foot seven uh he's a career 39 percent three-point shooter on really high volume uh and he's a guy that has a near two to one assist to turnover ratio on the year he's at uh 3.8 assist to 2.1 turnovers so baylor shireman's production looks kind of what nba teams go to off the bench uh from a shooting standpoint the other thing i love about him is just watching the nba uh and watching shooters in particular and guys who have the shooting specialist label but even non-shooters uh but guys but guys that are just on the court to provide spacing uh the difficulty of the threes that they have to hit is really high uh if you are considered a shooter of any sort you're not just being left unattended you've got to pump fake and sidestep you've got to come off of movement you've got to be able to hit with a hand in your face um shireman this year has hit 48 of his transition threes 40.6 percent of his threes off screens 53.8 percent of his threes is a pick and roll ball handler 41.2% of his threes in handoff settings. Uh, you know, almost 50% on the unguarded catch and shoots, but the NBA type of threes that he'll have to hit, he's hitting at a really high clip. Um, the finishing numbers are okay, but he doesn't get to throw them a lot. The first step stinks, to be frank. Like he, if every every drive where he gets to the rim is sort of him having to work his way through or against another body. Like he's just not going to leave anybody in the dust no matter how hard they close out um the playmaking is is good he's in like the 93rd percentile on pick and roll possessions this year very creative passer very advanced some of the more adventurous stuff he's got a really real in because sometimes he'll make just like wild out of control passes that like will get him benched in the nba um but generally the decisions are good and i think when you're someone who's capable of making plays like that it's a little easier to reel that in than like all of a sudden turn somebody into that type of playmaker um the defense is is rough, so we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but offensively, how do you feel about Baylor Shireman's overall game? And do you have concerns about any of the offensive stuff scaling up? Yeah, I mean, like you said, just the NBA one-to-one stuff, it translates. Like, he's doing it. He has done it. There's really no suggestion that says, like, oh, this is actually a red flag. There's no, like, free throw, whatever. There's none of that. There are zero shooting indicators that are red flags. So, like... He's in a guy where I feel like, do you just say, I, I personally, I don't think his jump shot is that beautiful. I know a lot of people say it's like one of the prettiest. I don't see it. Like if I saw him in the gym warming up, I'd be like, all right, I can give him like a little bit of space, you know, obviously assuming like height or something like six, six, <laughs> seven, obviously I'm not, but like, I think for me, it's just, he doesn't get much lift. And that's something where I'm like, how's he going to shoot over NBA length consistently? Sure. I, but the thing is you have five years of sample size of him shooting over six foot, seven plus guys. Mm-hmm. He's probably fine. So there's a part of, I just, I go back and forth on the offense and I go, well, aesthetically, it doesn't look great. Statistically, it looks great. What do I do? And I've found just every single time you got to trust the stats because your eyes aren't perfect. And sometimes mm-hmm. just the aesthetics don't matter. I mean, Tyrese Halbert, like yeah. one of the yeah. weirdest looking jump shots ever. You would never know, but if you just mm-hmm. looked at basketball reference. For sure. For sure. Uh, so the defense is interesting. I, so what I will give, him on defense is like his defensive bpm is 3.4 like and they don't get like crushed defensively in the minutes when he's on the court versus off the court like there's very little difference he's not he's not a giant problem at the college level defensively i like how he uses his arms and his hands on defense like he's a guy who like some guys telling themselves their feet like julian strother i always hated like he would play so far back off the guys shireman will play back but the way that he'll use his length to kind of put a hand in a guy's face, be ready to have his, his fact that his like hands aren't down at his hips. Like he's always making his presence known, even if he's like kind of obviously not the most comfortable with, with the defensive situation at the time. Um, Really good defensive rebounder. Uh, And because he has that passing game, he's like this really good, just like grab and go early offense initiator kind of guy. Um, because he's 205 pounds, pretty strong, like not a guy that's going to get like plowed through. 
the feet are a problem. Uh, really heavy footed, really struggles against directional changes. Um, right now, they kind of like let him be a roamer a lot of the time. Like they'll just throw him on who the other team's worst shooter is and kind of let him roam around. Which like if he was in that role, I'd kind of like to see better playmaking metrics. But his combined stock rate right now is is one point eight. Uh, which like Cam Thomas was 2.1. Like it is like one of the worst I've seen for an NBA prospect. Um, so if he's in a role and like he's had, he's had better stock rates in the past, but like if we're talking about a guy who's like gets to kind of just roam around, you'd like to see him making more plays. But I think it's that lack of speed that really shows up uh, in that front. Like he just can't get places that quickly and and make plays. Uh, how, how much does that, concern you and, and how do you feel about him defensively because like he doesn't like, yeah. stand out as a total liability but then like you look into the numbers and like some like the bad plays are, are just bad but then there's other times where it's like oh yeah he like can throw his chest on somebody and he like knows how to use his hands it's it's not like the simplest like oh he's just terrible at this but there are indicators that this is going to be like the thing that's a huge problem for him so this is one of my concerns with Baylor Shireman is okay if he's a great shooter what happens, because this happens to every great shooter, no matter how good you are, this happens to Steph Curry, does not matter who you are, Duncan Robinson, whatever, whoever you want to call in this, what happens when he has a bad night? And that's where I have, like, yep. just yeah. the shooting. And, yeah, he can make some plays as a passer, but let's be real, if he's getting, I mean, I don't see him getting many pick-and-roll opportunities. That's not something, nope. so I know you asked about defense, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but mm -hmm. this is kind of my issue is, like, okay, imagine just uh, De'Aaron Fox gets switched sure. he draws the switch it's over that's you just call the possession yep. you have to yeah. foul you have to pray he misses he takes settles for a three or misses at the rim and he has good defense behind him and that's where i worry because we've seen a lot of these guys who are sharpshooters but cannot play any defense and they're good playmakers but the things they're good at as playmakers they don't get the chance to do in the nba and that's mm -hmm. kind of where i'm like okay what happens when you're yeah. not shooting well because at that point you're just spots and spot minutes and that's what concerns me but with his defense I, like you said he does a really good job of not getting bulldozed over and i think that is a really impressive skill and mm -hmm. it is hidden though in college because the spacing you can put three guys in you can form a wall essentially at the mid-range mark mm -hmm. and much more easily than you can in the yep. nba because cal Bernard can just too many out the paint yeah mm -hmm. you can't do that in the nba so what's he going to look like defending in space where De'Aaron Fox is wiping his shoes and he's five feet behind the three-point line, gets his first step, and he's gone. And at that point, your best case is probably just hoping Fox is taking a, a tough layup and he meets the rim protector, but it's not that likely given that that's how they're going to draw it up. So for me, I just worry what's his impact on the game if his defense isn't there and what happens if his shot's not there too. Like is he ever – is he just off, off the floor immediately? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that, that there's a lot to unpack there. I think those are really good points. Um, one thing I kind of like to do with guys is, is I think sometimes people can can almost trick themselves a little bit by getting too ahead of the game with like, is this a guy I can play in the playoffs? Because I think too many people uh, missed on Walker Kessler. I was too low on Walker Kessler because I think there was this concern that like, hey, Rudy Gobert just had a bad playoff. is like a drop coverage big man. So like Walker Kessler is not going to be able to play in the playoffs. So I wouldn't draft him. And it's like, well, actually like Walker Kessler is really good. And he's a lot more likely to play in the playoffs than a lot of other guys that, that a lot of us like more than Walker Kessler. Um, so I, I try not to focus too much on like what a guy can't do early and more focused on like, what is the thing that gets them on an NBA floor? And for Walker Kessler, it was, finishing it was rebounding it was uh projecting the rim and drop coverage defense where for shireman it's going to be the shooting um i do think to your point there like i i've called it different things over the years i, I guess the best import right now like the most fitting would be like the the Derek white factor of like how many different things can you do on the court like if you're having a game where the shot isn't falling what else are you going to do like Derek white is the guy who like bad game Derek white is still a guy i want on the basketball court for my team um Baylor Shireman's Derek White factor is pretty low. If if the shot is not falling, uh, he is not really going to be providing any any value uh, for for your team on a given night, and that's a real concern. Um, the other other thing I just want to pick your brain on real quick is like, how do you feel he stacks up compared to some of the other like recent sharpshooters that have have come come through the college ranks? Um, because I think like what he has over a guy like Young Jung Lee or someone like that is just yeah. the, the physical strength. Um, I think that makes him pretty interesting, but I 
don't know that like even defensively or from like a strength standpoint, he's in the same tier as someone like a Sam Hauser um, or even like an Aaron Neesmith. Like you look at like how he's been able to just use his body uh, to make a difference and kind of play up in those smaller lineups for the Pacers. Like where, where do you see him in, in that tier of like, I guess like Hyun Jung Lee, Neesmith, Hauser, Ben Shepard, like these, these kind of guys. Right. So I, I feel like one of his comps that it's very possible he could draw to is somebody who hasn't – I don't even know. He played a handful of minutes in the NBA tops, and that's Joe Wieskamp, where I think there were a lot of people I, – I vividly remember somebody ran a Twitter poll, and they said, would you rather have Corey Kispert in the first – like in the first 20 picks or Joe Wieskamp second round or undrafted? And like it was 80-20. Everyone was like, oh, Wieskamp. And I worry that something like this, like where it's, yeah, he's a great shooter in college and everything. And he did a lot of the same stuff offensively, not as good of a playmaker. Important. Yeah. Way, I would say significantly worse as a playmaker. Way different. But the defense, kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, you look at that and it's like, okay, well, if he wasn't like, if we can't, can't make it, it gets really tough. Like it is really Mm -hmm. hard to stick as a shooter in the NBA. I'm trying to think of some other guys that like, I'm looking through old draft boards and stuff where I'm like, okay, this is somebody who I really liked, but they never – and Wieskamp is probably the only one that comes to mind. But, like, if there's him, there are others. Again, it's just not popping out. So I worry, what if he is Joe Wieskamp 2.0, or is he somebody who sure. finds something else to hang his hat on? I mean, even Patrick Baldwin has really struggled to be yeah. in, in the rotation. He had way, way more hype around him, and he's a 6'9 shooter, granted – way bigger concerns but yeah there are just guys that i think it's like well the playmaking like that's the difference he has over those two guys for just as that example but they all have the defense in common that's kind of what i'm at is what's the common trait here and where does baylor separate himself yeah i feel like isaiah livers is like another guy where like the volume wasn't as high but like the idea was was fairly similar but with better defense and like not not going great for him this year like this is like it's a really tricky archetype to be a guy who is like a shooter that doesn't have good athleticism it's it's tricky um but but i i do think i ultimately came away a little bit more encouraged just because i do think the stuff he does well is stuff that guys that that do stick in these these bench roles do and that if nothing else i think he's the guy that can linger it's like a break glass case break glass in case emergency kind of guy off off the bench for a long time like a guy like matt thomas got a million chances and i feel like it, it, it were shireman can can be that and just sort of float around the, the nba for a while um but yeah I, I i think shireman was the guy that i was a little too caught up in the negative stuff before and then diving into strengths it's like man there's there's some really good stuff here yeah i mean um, i i completely agree Sorry. So yeah, so let's go to Anton Watson because he's a guy that like Nathan Nathan and Gru- Nathan Grubel and I argued about him a lot last year. Nathan loves him. I know he's got a lot of fans, and like I've always just kind of struggled with him. So give me the sales pitch on on Anton Watson and like what, where do you have Anton Watson on your board, and like what do you see the NBA sell for him being? Yeah. So uh, I actually. <laughs> I feel like I do this every year and I'm really scared Anton Watson's going to be that guy this year <laughs> where I put somebody who ends up going undrafted in my top 30. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Like some names in the past. I mean, Mike Miles, uh, Raleigh Alkins, if you want a real throwback right there from there Arizona. There we go, yeah. Um, so I, I worry that I'm coming victim to this again, but I'm watching Gonzaga every single time. And I just, I watch him and I go, why would an NBA team not want this guy? He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He also, when he gets the ball in his hands, like how often do you find yourself going, what are you doing? Like I never, I don't think over the years I've seen that. And I also, I want to emphasize this. I've never been an Anton Watson guy until, I wouldn't say till midway through last year, where I was like, okay, I kind of get it. He's gotten better every year, I would say. And ultimately he's just a connector. I wish he was a little bit taller. I thought he was like 6'10". He's 6'8", at best. Mm -hmm. But the motor is insane. The feel for the game is off the charts. He's really, really versatile, and he does all the right things, I think, on defense in terms of somebody who creates turnovers. He's making the right reads. He doesn't you know, miss his rotations or anything like that. He has a really good – if he's in the zone flash, he can kill you with that one dribble floater. 
I think his defense is just phenomenal. I can't rave again about it enough. He he has insane balance. I think that matters. He also has quick hands, but he's also a really good finisher. I just the only question is how real is the jump shot improvements? Just looking at the stats this year, he's up from <laughs> the first four years. Let's see, I'm combining it. He was a 25 percent three point shooter on one attempt per game with 61 and a half percent from the free throw line. This year, the free throw line, the free throw numbers aren't great but the form looks a lot better. And just in volume, he took a hundred threes before this year. He's taken a third of that this year already, and he's made 40%. So I feel like there's improvements there to actually build on. He may not be a shooter right away, but if you're willing to wait one year for that to come along, I mean, Jonte Porter has been around for four years and finally got his chance this year. Why can't Anton Watson get that? And honestly, probably earlier. And I think that he just has the two-way value that as as a connector off the bench. Yeah, so I so I, there's a lot that I like about him. I, I love his touch inside the arc. Like you mentioned, you mentioned the finishing. Like he said, four of his five seasons where he's over sixty percent on twos. Like that's that's phenomenal. Um, always been a low volume guy from deep. Always been a subpar free throw shooter. Career sixty one percent from the free throw line. Good rebounder. Love how he plays on the offensive glass too. Like just a phenomenal little things player. Like is going to set good screens is going to get to plays on the glass. You don't think he's going to get to is going to bust his tail on that offensive end, make plays over there, but still do it in a way that's like fundamentally sound and not, uh, he's not going to make plays where he like gambles. And then a, a team gets a layup because Anton Watson was trying to like pad the statue. Like that's not who he is. Um, my concern with him is just like, the I guess the value proposition of like expending draft capital on him because like why 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 would I draft Anton Watson when I can sign Trendon Watford on a minimum like that's like kind of like my my issue with him is it's like I feel like there's a lot of these like tall good feel guys that like don't have enough of the shot or like sometimes it's like the more so the defense or the athleticism that like they never quite carve out a role, um, but they're always around because like they're really competent. Like they're not going to get you killed. Um, I feel like you could throw like Delano Banton and like that kind of mix as well. Like what, what makes him like, I guess, why would you, why do you believe in him to the point that it's like, yeah, I, w- I would spend a draft pick on him. And I really think that I can get him over the top of my developmental system. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I just, I feel like he's somebody who, again it's just that impact right where it's it's everything you want in a forward off the bench where he's gonna lock guys up i think he creates turnovers he makes it very easy to be a positive player in the league like he doesn't have to do much to to do that like he just creates transition opportunities and as we all know transition offense is one of the very most if not the most efficient offense you can run and i think that's huge like that's something that makes the team better also, just like I know the shot. I mean, just reading some of the comments in here, I know a lot of people don't, you know, they're saying, why would you take Watson over Coleman Hawkins? Things like that, just to kind of tie those two together. Mm-hmm. I don't think Coleman Hawkins does that much in terms of volume. I don't think he can really score. Whereas Watson, I mean, he's had two games where like he had one against UCLA, which was unreal, where he went 14 uh-huh. to 15, and then against Santa Clara earlier, like a two weeks Santa ago. Clara game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 14 of 18. And just some of the things he does, it's just like the smarts. I just, I really do feel like he's an exception to the rule with the free throw percentage and the shooting, where he's somebody, if you just look at the work ethic and how he's gotten better over the years, I really think he's somebody that that trend's not going to stop in college. Granted, he's 24, he'll be 25 at training camp. Mm-hmm. Not the only guy to be that old and thrive in the NBA. For sure. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's, I just have a hard time with like how many similar guys are on the margins in this mold that like, for me, it makes me a little scared to take the, 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 the top 60 plunge on a guy like that, where like, I feel more like, uh, yeah, like on an E10, why not? It's like kind of how I've always viewed him. What if he was your undrafted free agent, you get him on a two way, like, and then he thrives. Like I, cause that's why I feel like the most yeah. likely outcome is I'm not expecting him to get a first round pick by any means, even though I have mm-hmm. him in my first round grade right now. But I do think he is somebody that's going to severely outplay expectations. I think that's definitely possible. I I think the other thing is like, I think once you get up to that age, and I think there's something like we saw Demoy Hodge run into is it's like you're almost competing more with the other 24, 25 year olds in the NBA, where it's like 
am I going to kick the tires on him or am I going to see like maybe if there is something left to Chumo Kiki? You know what I mean? Like that sounds like kind of nuts, but it's like those are other guys that are his age that no, like an fair. NBA team could could consider. So like I, I've always felt better about like I'd rather see him on the E10 first versus like just jump into the two-way with him, which man, we are, we are <laughs> these are the conversations that we have here on Trapsico. So, and that, that's why I'm glad I could, could have on a guest so you can get this kind of weeds with us here um so we're gonna talk some sleepers we got i i love your sleepers this week by the way so very excited to uh to get to these guys so stick with us we'll be right back on the other side of the break all right so it is time for the sicko session so in this part of the show we we like to take a couple guys that that we've been interested in as sleepers recently um let's let's kick it off with you which of your guys did you want to did you want to go with your first let's start with Sion james i'm i'm a huge fan and i'm seeing him in person yes. in dallas on thursday so let's start with him yeah let's do it so Sion james is a guy uh that i like a lot he is a 6-6 guard who can can guard anybody he can kind of guard guard guards guard forwards guard wings uh he's having a great season for tulane uh 13.8 points per game on 45.9 40.7, 67.8 splits, uh, but always been a do-everything guy, about five boards a game, uh, almost uh, an over two-to-one assisted turnover ratio, 2.8 assists uh, to 1.2 turnovers, 1.7 steals, 0.7 blocks. Uh, just a guy that immediately physically you look at and you're like, that guy looks like an NBA player, um, but has really had some nice developments. Talk about that. So what have you seen from him over this past year? That's Like, I think... I, I you've, you've kind of been on him for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Like, yeah. what do you think it's been that like this year has kind of like really kicked it into overdrive? So I actually, I think he's been about the same this year. I think the defense has been something that teams avoid him with now. So the flashes aren't necessarily there, but the big jump for me is he's become really confident in taking shots off the dribble. And mm -hmm. honestly, he's not that bad at it. There was one play. I, I wish I could remember who it was against. It was a few weeks ago. It was one of the first conference games, maybe like Wichita State or something. And he he took like – it was just a, a very pro move. He gets the, the catch, immediately takes the step back, extremely open because of it. And it's things like that we just haven't seen. I also think just his overall scoring mentality has improved. A lot of times last year he was going for that – like, honestly, I know we talked about him a moment ago, like the Coleman Hawkins style, where it's like, I'm going to make someone else make the, the scores, like the mm -hmm. scoring plays, excuse me. Yeah. I'm going to just facilitate and be content not being the guy who's actually putting the ball in the hoop. But now he's taking that different mentality and going, all right, I am a scored now without uh, Jalen um, just gave me Cook, I think. Yeah, Jalen Cook was the point guard. Yeah, and now he's at LSU. And I, I really like what he's done in that regard. He's kind of handed that off Kevin Cross. Him and they play very similar like games. But I think with Sion James, it's that he's a 6'5 positionless defender. He is strong enough to take anybody in the post, uh, mm -hmm. at least as long as they're under like you know a certain height. And he's not going to okay. guard uh, Embiid by any means. But he is somebody that's strong enough. You look at like a Grant Williams type. Mm -hmm. in terms of like how he plays on defense. I know Grant has had a terrible year. I'm sorry, Mavs fans, if you're listening to this. But with him, I think if, if you hope that, hey, jump shot is there, the passing is 100% there. He's way better at that Slick. than – Yeah. It, it's just – it's so smooth. It, it is insane how he can pass on the move, pass from standstill. He just sees the floor perfectly on both ends, and that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, to me, he's always been like one of those everything but the shot guys. And like the shorter you are, the more daunting that is. Like – Anton Watson, it's like, okay, well, like, yeah, like there still might be a path for him if he doesn't shoot because of all the other things that he's going to do and being six foot eight, like it's just easier. Uh, with Sion, it was always tough because he's probably, probably six five. Um, but just a guy who was like, a, he's like a, a snowball rolling down a hill. It's how I described him when I covered him for, for no son to turn the year before this, like his momentum is he drives to the basket, just like gains and gains steam and he can plow right through people. He's got that nice first step, but like, he is so sharp with how he sees the floor. Like he is able to just read the game at a really high level, but it was always a little bit harder for him to get those advantages and to get inside because he was a low volume three point shooter. And this year, previously his high uh, in terms of three point attempts or hundred possessions was 3.9. This year it's up to 5.9. You mentioned the shooting off the dribble, but even some of these plays where he's coming off a handoff and like just kind of tucking himself behind Kevin cross and letting it, letting it fly from the NBA three-point line is stuff that you never would have seen from him. And I, I just love the assertiveness 
off the catch with the shot this year. There's so much less like, I got it. Am I going to take it? No, I'm going to put it on the deck for a little bit. He's getting these openings and he's just taking them and shooting the three. So I'm liking Sion James. Do you think he's a guy that could work himself into draftable territory? Cause I, I ran a query the other day where it was like all these like just wide ranging, like guys that produce in a lot of areas. And, and he was on there. There's a lot of other guys that had been drafted. Um, I don't know that the momentum's there, but would, would you consider him in the second round? Cause I think so he's, the, he's getting to that point. Oh, I, I would, if I was, if yeah. I was a GM, but I think there's two things that really hold him back. One is, is a six, five, positionless guy who's has at best a mediocre shot yep you worth drafting fair question i think and secondly i think team, people look at the team like tulane hasn't been very good this year they should have been a lot better mm-hmm. and they've never he hasn't been to the tournament i think that that's going to kind of be something that i don't know that's a fair criticism but it is something that um that i really just do think teams are going to be like well he didn't lead them to being the best you know version of themselves even with kevin cross I think there's other things though. Like I'm not a big fan of that, but I do think it's something that's going to hold him back. Yeah. I, I think that's completely reasonable. I think anytime you're coming from, and I, the a 10 is not like, or uh, I'm sorry, the American isn't like the smallest league, but I think anytime you're on a mid major team and the record's not great, that's always something that uh, can, can set off some alarm bells in front offices. Um, let's, let's jump back to the G league and let's talk about Malik Lewis uh, for a moment. This is one of my guys I want to touch on this week. He is uh, playing for the Mexico city Capitans um as a draft eligible prospect he uh, was part of that g league international draft class um he is extremely interesting to me he's a guy that i checked in on early in the year uh and i was like oh yeah like i i get the idea of of malik lewis he's 19 years old he's six foot eight he can move a little bit he really defends he really gets after on the glass he's a fantastic rebounder uh but just a guy who's six eight and can move and doesn't make a lot of mistakes um now he is starting to score the ball a lot more. He is up to uh, 11.1 points per game in the regular season portion of the G League schedule on 54-35-82 splits. Um, I'm really liking what I'm seeing. Another one of those guys who's just kind of mistake-free. He's got a 2-to-1 assist to turnover ratio. Phenomenal defender. NBA frame. Uh, just a guy that the more I'm thinking about, and, and he's on a bit more of an ideal situation than the Ignite because the, the Capitans have a, a, a good good roster around him. But I just see a 6'8", 19-year-old in the G League who's who's playing the game the right way and has a lot of physical tools that I like, and I'm I'm loving him in the early second round. Uh, what, what's been your opinion of, of Malik Lewis so far? Yeah, I think he, like you said, he's an intriguing guy. I feel like these guys that don't play on the Ignite get so overlooked. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I think Malik Lewis is a little bit better than, um, and I just drew a blank. Perez, he was on uh, Mexico City last year. Jocelyn Perez, mm-hmm. he was like nobody knew that this guy was draft eligible, and it's not like he was some you know hot commodity. He was a guard, yeah, played very good defense also. But it, it is very interesting, like him and uh, and I'm gonna butcher the name, but I think it's Tiafal Leonard. Tiafal Leonard, he was at yes. Middle Tennessee. Yeah, Tiafal, yep. mm-hmm. he's great. But, uh, you know, I, I think some of these guys get absolutely hidden. With Lewis, it was really shocking to me to see his shooting numbers after watching him shoot. And this is another thing. Like, am I, am I just going way too much off the aesthetic? Like, Ben McLemore is a prime example of this guy. One of the prettiest shots you'll ever see. But dude couldn't make a three to save his life half the time. So I I think that I buy it, especially with the free throw percentage being at least respectable. And he makes the right mo- plays and moves. And he's built very well for his position. I'd like to see the shot get a little bit better down the stretch. Like just have like a major flash of it. Like even if it's like three weeks of just hot shooting, I think that's yeah. enough. And I think he, his stock will really start to pick up. But yeah, he's somebody who just like, I just think it's something where the G League doesn't advertise its non-Ignite prospects. The last time they have was probably what, PJ Hairston? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I, I that's not so. good. That's in the NBA no. and... Because they had that get... dude on the on the inter- on the uh, Ontario Clippers last year, who was like one of those guys who I think is still there this year. I know who you're talking about, and I for the life of me could the not pronunciation remember his name. is is uh, is difficult on that one. Um, but yeah, he was one of those guys that I, I would hear from from either teams or players in workouts, like, "Oh man, like this." I was in a workout with this guy, and, and he's fantastic, and like just didn't really have a lot of buzz, and ended up not entering the NBA last year, but there's, there's a lot of talented guys that are draft eligible in the G league. that are not on the ignite. Um, 
let's hop over to uh, Boogie Ellis, who is the other guy that, that you kind of brought to the table this week. Boogie's got some fans. Like there, there are some some real sharp people that I that I know that are like big on Boogie Ellis. I I was starting to kind of feel it at the beginning of the year, um, and then USC has this tough start, but then. I look at the numbers and it's like Boogie's Boogie's still he's still cooking like he's still been good despite not having a uh, a big man that can like catch and dunk the basketball. Uh, what what are you seeing with uh, the six two or I'm sorry six three graduate guard uh, Boogie Ellis? Hey, he needs every inch he can get on that height. Absolutely. I don't know yeah. if he actually is six three. I'll, I'll leave it That's at what that. He's listed at. <laughs> I'm just going to list tonight. <laughs> I think. For me, I have watched way too like this is probably the name that puts me as a draft sicko, mm-hmm. uh, which is I've watched way too much Boogie Ellis over the years. Yeah, somebody who yeah. I didn't like in Memphis, he transferred to USC, and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe there is something here. But mm-hmm. the thing that really stands out to me, I love like it, it's hard for me to notice some of these things. I think without having a tip of people who are actually behind the scenes, but the maturity that Boogie Ellis has taken this year is so obvious. Like when he's only played a handful of minutes with Collier and uh, Brawny, but mm-hmm. to be a fifth, I think he's fifth year senior, not six, right? Like he, to be as old yeah, as he yeah, is, yeah. right? Most of those guys, if you go across college basketball, I mean, I, I know for a fact, I can't say who they are, who I've heard of this happening, but there are plenty in like big 12 schools, for example, I'll leave it at that over the years that I've heard of where they go, well, this freshman just got all the shine. Where's my shine? And they, they just get very almost butthurt over not getting the minutes that and the touches that they deserve. But Boogie Ellis is absolutely phenomenally rolled into that role. And I think he's just really matured and shows that like, hey, I can play whatever role is asked of me. Not much of an on-ball guy this year. And my goodness, I didn't even notice this was his numbers right now. Granted, he's missed some mm-hmm. time. 45% from three on seven attempts per yeah. game. And the free throw percentage has always been at least average. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. a real skill. I don't know how good of an actual decision maker he is. That's the absolute fatal flaw mm-hmm. swing skill for him. But I really, really do think that there is something to be said of, okay, his maturity is there. He has a, a real skill he can hang his hat on. He's a good score. At the minimum, I think he's going to be a G League all-star. Yes, I was going to say, I think I think Boogie is going to really benefit from the fact that like guys, guys get better at that at the NBA level and in the G League. Like, I the fact that he's not coming in is like a negative on the decision-making front. Like, do I wish he was better? Yeah. But I'm never overly frustrated by the decisions that Boogie Ellis makes is a, is a lead guard. Um, I do worry about the finishing with him. Like, that's like the big thing. It's like, he's like a sub sub 50% room finisher, but man, like he could just really shoot the ball. Like I just looking at the synergy numbers right now, like all my notes on him are just about like the deep pull-up range. He's like in the half court, he's making like 51% of his pull-up threes. Like, it's really hard to guard a guy like that. And then you spend some time in the G league, you hone that decision-making and when teams have to guard you that far out, and they know that you're yep. that kind of a pull-up threat. Like it can really open, open up those passing opportunities and that can make it a little bit easier to get downhill when a big man has to cover a lot more space and you have a lot more time to get past him. Um, yeah. And, and I think the other thing I like about boogie compared to some of the other graduates is that like, he's been good before like this isn't a case of a guy who's like 24 25 years old all of a sudden being a lot better like this is a guy who had a really good season last year and came back for graduate year um and despite less than ideal uh circumstances at usc this year is still performing really well um is he a guy that you would consider in the second round or is this more of like an undrafted two-way kind of guy for you? He's that, probably undrafted. I okay. I think yeah. he's undrafted. It's just like guards are a diamond dozen. Yep. And also like just to one thing, add on what you said, the finishing ability, everything near the rim is what scares me with him. I don't think he can really finish against bigs very well. And also like he has to get better finding ways to finish around and through contact, but he also just doesn't get to the rim very well um so how he actually creates those rim points whether it's free throws or layups like that's the one like i I know i said fatal flaw is probably the point guard ability but that's it like i think all of his biggest issues if he could just be a three-level scorer there's such a clear path for him in the nba compared to him being this sharpshooter who's like a mediocre point guard not a good finisher for sure yeah i think i think that's spot on um last guy i want to touch on had to had to stay local uh for for Chicago's Big Ten team, which is located in Evanston, Illinois, rather than Chicago, uh, Brooks Barnheiser from, from Northwestern. Um, 
he is really starting to kick it into gear. He was the guy that I kind of had on my watch list prior to the start of the season because he finished hot last year. And then the start of the season, it was like, nah, he's kind of the same guy again. But now he's he's been hot. Uh, and he's a big part of their turnaround. He is a six foot six uh, forward with the largest calves that I've ever seen on a basketball player. Uh, he's averaging 14.7 points per game on 45, 36.5, 75 splits. Um, good rebounder, 6.6 boards per game, a, a real physical fourth on the glass. Another really smart uh, decision maker, 2.9 assists to 1.4 turnovers. Again, that mental sharpness and that giant frame of his carries over on defense where he's averaging two steals and 0.8 blocks per game. Uh, Barnheiser is super, super crafty. He can really put the ball on the deck. He's always had this really polished mid-range scoring game. The question was always going to be, is it something he could scale out to three? And now we're on year three of him continuing to expand that range. I do think he's probably a guy that's going to need another year. Um, and I would say my concern with Barnheiser is that while he is super strong, um, his lateral agility is kind of shaky where it's one of those things where it's like, ah, you're probably best from a lateral standpoint, guarding fours, but from a size standpoint, you're probably better off guarding threes. Like he, people say like the three, four tweener doesn't really exist anymore, but it does. And it, it looks like Brooks Barnheiser. <laughs> um, but I think with one more year of just, improved off the catch shooting and i think he's done a good job like coming off of screens and things like that this year um another guy's just been more willing to let it fly i love what i'm seeing out of barnheiser and i think he's a guy next year that can that can work his way into that second round mix yeah i i have a buddy who's big with northwestern and he was like in august he was like uh watch for him he's gonna be he's gonna be our guy and i think he definitely is taking the jump if you watch i want to say it was the ohio state game it is such a weird thing, but like the way he sees the spot up shooters as, as a shooter, the mm -hmm. way he does it, like with the extra passes, how he's creative in it, he'll make the extra skip pass. It's, it's not just like here's easy read left or right. It's over above through. I do think there, there is something to be said on that. Like his playmaking has been really impressive this year. Mm -hmm. I, I know he has almost very close to a two to one assist ratio yep. and, uh, last year, he, it was almost even at one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. and I think that's something where it's like those kind of plays, you see that him processing the game and it slowing down for him, it really comes into fruition. Yeah, and I think, like, I know a lot of guys get this compared, and I, I, it's, like, dangerous, and I, I don't want to say, like, they're the same player because there there is a, a talent and a really just, like, a mobility and athleticism difference, but, like, he the way that he could kind of herky-jerky create and pull up in the mid-range and not screw up reminded me a little bit of Jaime Jaquez, like where it's just like, he's got this ability to, to sort of create for himself and get to his spots. And I think when you're able to do that and score off, off the dribble in the mid range, that way, it gives me a little bit more confidence. Like we've seen Jaime hit the three. Well, in the NBA this year, like I think when you're able to make those difficult twos, it gives me a little bit more belief in you expanding that out to three. And I think it also gives me a little bit more belief in like, if you are consistently able to make your man uncomfortable, that's going to start to allow you to get those reps to better recognize what the rest of the defense is doing and to make those reads that you talked about. And I think those are the things that have been really encouraging uh, as far as that. Um, how do you feel about him defensively? Because like the, the, the playmaking numbers are awesome. And like, sometimes I watch him and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like he's got this guy like in the doghouse. like this guy can't go anywhere against him. And then there's other plays where I'm like, man, his feet look slow there. Um, wh what would you say like your concern or excitement level is with, with the defense? I'm, I'm honestly pretty neutral. I haven't watched him that closely on threes. I, uh, I remember, I want to say it was a recent game. I want to say it was like Terrence Shannon or something mm -hmm. uh, that he went against. And I just remember him like it was a simple, he walked into a three and he was just very off balance, but I don't have much yeah. of a take honestly on his defense right now. For sure. That's reasonable. Most people aren't. <laughs> yeah. deep, this is a sicko session. These aren't guys that in every case that we're just grinding day in and day out. That's, that's more the top of the class guys. But yeah, I, I think that'll, that'll put a bow on it. Where, where can people find you if they're not already kind of following you on social media and following your work? Yeah, appreciate it. I uh, honestly, everything I do is one of two places. It's at mapsdraft.com. I've started posting more uh, just game breakdowns. Anything I watch, I try and like very, and I, I don't know how to really describe it. I watch a lot, but like there's somewhere I'm like, okay, when I see a breakthrough 
in a player. I think that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. I post anything on my site, just film breakdown saying like, all right, this is why I think he's, you know, a good decision maker, things like that. I have some high school stuff with that. Uh, EYBL starts up in a month and a half. I'll be covering that. So honestly, any level of basketball, NBA, college, uh, EYBL, at least like in America, I think I I've got it on lock. And then also locked on NBA Big Board uh, to tie that one together. <laughs> I, you can find me. I'm with Rafael Barlow. So uh, just look for whenever you see Mavs Draft on there. And, uh, those are my episodes. Yeah. And and, and I, I think just, again, to to drive it home for anyone who somehow is not following you at this point, I love the work that you do. And I think it's so important to uh, – follow basketball at, at every level. And I think a lot of times guys can miss things when they're not paying as close of attention to NBA. Um, and I think that you do a great job of kind of blending all of those worlds and being able to holistically approach the game of basketball. I think it's something that a lot of people can miss out on. And I also love in the updates that you do on your site, um, it's not a lot of fluff or nonsense. It's it's very straight to the point. And a lot of times if, if you post about a guy and I didn't get to see that game, it's it's a really nice way to just like, hey, what did this guy do in this game? And just kind of get those notes and, and see it. So a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Mavs Draft. Uh, make sure you're following me at Boundboards. Uh, make sure you're following No Ceilings NBA on Twitter as well. Subscribe to NoCeilingsNBA.com uh, for our daily written content. I've got my Baylor Shireman article going up tomorrow. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Until next time, we'll see you guys later.